head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast the pride of limerick the young man named sean sheehan the mma media don graham mcdonald the severe MMA people that are coming to the local shows way before everyone else. To see them coming up and they're getting their shot. And I'm proud that people are coming up with me. Welcome, welcome everybody to episode 200 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan and joining me this week is Graham McDonald. Later on in the podcast, but joining me right <laughs> here, right now, is Andrew McGann. Professional jiu-jitsu player Andrew McGann. How are you? From number one to 200. Yes. I only show up for, for milestones. For milestones. I was actually <laughs> listening to like episode 14 or something there last week. And, and were was, we terrible or were we good, Sean? It was shit. But my oh. sound, it was actually like I recorded on a fucking Nokia 3310 or something. It was so horrendously bad. And I was like, how do we even put those out? Like, I'm, if I did something like that now, there's no way I'd even put it out. Like, it just sounded yeah. so shit. Started but, from the bottom, now we're here. Exactly, and now we're back. We're back. Andrew McGahan back in his place of birth. How are things anyway with you? In life I'm, in general. How are I'm you? sorry I didn't see you at the weekend. Yeah. I know we try I know it didn't it didn't just match up. You see, you were very busy. Mm-hmm. You were in the trenches. Sean Sheehan conducting interviews backstage at a mixed martial arts event in Ireland for the first time, am I right? Uh well, yeah, yeah, I suppose it was my first on-camera interview, but I've done a few scrums and stuff before holding up the microphone and asking a few questions so, yeah, But definitely your first time uh doing that many regardless of of yeah. uh, of anything like. Sure I had to do Graham at home fucking lazy on his birthday doing nothing. It was Graham, well, what do you say? like surely you can't say it was his birthday. Yeah. Graham doesn't celebrate birthdays. Anniversary of birth, is it? Anniversary of yeah. birth. Yeah, you yeah. hear that one later on, probably. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, did he say? Oh, he probably will say yeah, that. Actually, will, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, well, so. then. Um, <laughs> yeah, but apart from that, Breaking it was. The uh, wall there. Yeah, we're we're just kind of uh, we're ruining kayfabe yeah, as, we are, it, as yeah. it would be known. Yeah, but no, I had a. Um, how am I? Yeah, flat out on jujitsu, Sean. To be honest, I um I've been competing a lot. I've been training twice a day, and it's just it's crazy. Like, and I had a lot of people like speak to me like come up to me at Bellator like assuming that I'd be running around with a red and black check shirt on me and a media pass and asking like fighters questions and stuff like that but I had I had decided before the last Connor fight that I would like to take a sort of a break from that sort of work exclusively that whenever the next fight happened that yeah 100% let's get straight back into it but over the last I've been at a crossroads massively like with between jiu-jitsu and this type of work for a long long time like technically like when I went left college to focus on severe back then I was split between jiu-jitsu and severe even then Mm -hmm. so recently like starting to get good results and starting to like really believe that I'm getting somewhere or maybe interactions that I had with people in training who usually would have got the better of me and then it didn't happen like the next time I was like all right you're good at this like just put like put your time and effort into this just to see because I have my whole life. Do you know what I mean? We all have, we don't realize how long we actually could be in this field for. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm not going to be able to win an adult world Brazilian Jiu Jitsu title at 32. Whereas I'm 26 now and I feel like in coming into like an athletic prime sort of thing, as, as athletic as a prime as someone who drinks <laughs> cans of Coke and eats terrible food can be, be coming into. But I just was like, jujitsu gives me tremendous enjoyment, tremendous happiness. We all remember the tears in episode 82. Mm-hmm. So uh, doing something that keeps you in the correct frame of mind and keeps you like 
taking over on all boxes for me is the most important thing, no matter what. And jujitsu is that thing. So knowing that I get to settle myself with a bit of jujitsu in the morning is possibly the best thing that I could be doing at the minute. Fair play, Andrew. Fair play, 100%. And let look, I suppose... You're here, and we're going to do a normal podcast as we can, but 200 episodes, you've been there. I'd say you've been there for about half of them. Graham's been there for the other half. I've been Just there for a month. under so. half. You're, you, are, you are now the dominant factor. Would you believe? Oh, now? Used... What do you mean now? Well, <laughs> come on, let's be honest. Um, I, I do think that uh, I used to make a joke about it with my girlfriend at the time that, that the severe MMA was a longer commitment than I had to her. Mm-hmm. But technically, I don't know how long... how how long we actually had broke up in comparison i think that she just outlasted the 92 weeks of the severe mma podcast yeah Yeah. so i'm sorry about that you remember me kind kinder though and better than than (laughs) in a fonder in a fonder light definitely our our intimate moments probably were better (laughs) in all honesty Uh, anyway i'm joking i'm joking sean sheehan and i were never intimate Oh, I'll just leave on that one there. All right, well, let's get into this uh, this Bellator card anyway. Yeah. Like you, you've been there for all the big, obviously the big Irish cards, and I suppose there, there's kind of there's three or maybe four you can rank it w- with in comparison to how good the atmosphere and all was. You can, you know, that KSW card was unbelievable. Obviously, you know, UFC ninety three back in the day, we were a bit bought too, a bit young for that maybe, or, or it was a kind of a different time anyway. And then you had the McGregor Brandau fight, and then you had the one with, with Paddy Hoolan and Lewis Smolka and all that. Where would you rank this one amongst those in terms of atmosphere? Well, I wasn't at KSW. Oh yeah. But based off what I was told, I would rank it fourth behind the two UFC events and KSW. Now, I'm not disputing how great the atmosphere was in the venue at certain points the other night, Mm -hmm. but the UFC is a collective brand. KSW have the same footprint and impression with the Polish and the Eastern European community. Those are brands that people are fans of Mm -hmm. that are like, will go to for the name alone. Bellator don't have that in Europe and Ireland at the moment. What Bellator had in Ireland was effectively the same core group of fighters that appeared on a lot of the Bama shows in the three arena and simply were on the the Bellator Europe series. It's like, I don't know if you noticed that, but how funny it was that a lot of fighters already had like high quality production highlights that they were showing on the side of the ramp, Mm -hmm. but they were just all guys that had appeared on Bama. You know, so it was like you can see the crossover between the two companies that is still there. And I think that this is better for the fighters that they are fighting on the Bellator platform as opposed to the Bama platform because Bellator is the second biggest promotion in the world. Yes. But that being said, those guys that were in the arena, like making making atmosphere and making noise, it was for specific incidences, if that makes sense. Yeah. I thought that there was too many highs and far too many subdued moments in between. Whereas the UFC Dublin's there was general atmosphere that only a UFC production and show can bring. Mm-hmm. I and like, I can't speak for Kev. What did you think? I, I agree with you. And I actually think because of that, I think it's actually more impressive because it was Bellator. Because, you know, as you said, the UFC, UFC are going to fill that out 9,000 every time they come just because they're the UFC. But like this is pretty much close to a sellout as, as you're going to get. And it's it's Bellator. And it doesn't have that blow away name. You know, it doesn't have Conor McGregor in the main event. And you're never going to beat that. You're never going to beat that that UFC uh, McGregor versus Brando card. So we kind of lay that to the side. 
KSW, I think KSW probably just beats as well because of the, the production and everything is unbelievable. But as you said as well, KSW had that Polish community. There was almost no Irish people at that KSW card. It, it's actually unbelievable. Like it was, I'd say if there was nine thousand people there, I'd, I'd say eight thousand were, were the Polish community, and that that was excellent. But it feels like this was this was the coming of age for Irish MMA in a way. This was Irish MMA fans coming here to look at this. Oh, hundred percent. Game James Gallagher and stuff. It was yes. It was unbelievable. Like I and I have a kind of a point. I was thinking about this, and you're a good man to talk to this about as well because you've been watching Kiefer Crosby as well. I yeah. met Kiefer Crosby fans at the week. Like the two boys yeah. sitting in front of me were like. I was listening to them chat. They're like, oh, uh, Richie's up next or mm -hmm. Kiefer's up next. He's a really good kickboxer. He's a good kickboxing background. And I'm like, these guys are obviously MMA fans, but now they've become invested into the future yeah. Irish MMA professional wave. It's so amazing. Mm -hmm. Like the point, uh, someone tweeted me before the event saying there was 10 counties represented uh, on, on this. And like, if you look at, you know, we, we, we look at Dublin a lot and it's obviously a Dublin uh, base and a Dublin centric sport here. But look at the main event, Tyrone man, the, the, the co-main event, uh, a Kilkenny man and a Waterford man, you know, so that's, and like a lot of people, and I think why the crowd maybe filled out a lot as well. You had Sam Slater's guys coming up from Clare. You had a big a bunch of them, Will you know. Flurry's Will guys Flurry, as that's well. what someone was saying to me. You could see the lads with the big Tipperary heads in them <laughs> going in there. You had a lot of them, loads of lads from from up the north. You had a few lads coming up from Kerry and Limerick and stuff like that, and across from you know Galway and stuff as well. And it, I think there was, I've never seen more a more kind of eclectic bunch of of, 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 of MMA supporters. Fans. It was, yeah, it was unbelievable, yeah. wasn't it? Absolutely, and that's kind of what you said there. That's the that's that's not the coming of age of fighters. That's the coming of age of a fan base. Yeah. That's the that's the product of a of a growing intelligent fan base over the last couple of years of exposure to high end mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. That's really what that is like. A lot of these guys uh, like Kiefer, Kiefer in particular, because I know he's fought on on Bam before and fought in the Three Arena before. How many of those people may have been there for the same reason as before? You know, a county affiliation. Mm -hmm. You watch someone live, you're impressed by them, then you're a fan of them. And they are part of your thought process for why you go back the next time that they're in the three arena. Uh, there was two of my best mates from Dundalk went up to it on a bus full of lads from Dundalk who are all like MMA fans or they train Thai boxing or they train some form of martial arts. And they went up and they were like, they were all like they knew so much. Do you know what I mean? They knew mm -hmm. so much about people like Gallagher. They knew so much about Kiefer. They knew about Will Flurry. They knew about the people on the on like on different parts in the card. Like I had a I had a mate of mine say to me like before Flurry's fight, how impressive of a win it will be for him because his opponent is eight and one. And I'm just thinking like that is a scandalous level of knowledge yeah. for you to say that to me in comparison to the conversations we had about mixed martial arts even six months ago. Mm -hmm. Do you know, I just that was the one thing that from a positive perspective and like not that I was being like pessimistic about it beforehand or a little bit down on it beforehand. I, I feel that the buildup was excessive. I think that James Gallagher headlining a Bellator event. I think that those those that number was going to happen. I think regardless, in all honesty. I the one thing that I will like absolutely say fair play to the lads for is that it wasn't a reduced capacity. Mm -hmm. You know, we always used to be sneery towards the Bama crowd or any show that put it in the pre arena being like, yeah, well like sure look they had to close off the upper part of the arena. Like yeah. and it still looks empty, blah blah blah. There were empty seats up at the top of the arena where I was sitting. There was not many of them mm -hmm. do you know what i mean by gallagher's fight the place was jammed 
was genuinely jammed. Maybe I would like eight. Was it eight thousand seven hundred yeah. in total? So about three. That makes seats. sense. Yeah, three hundred empty yeah. seats is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Is quality and the fact that my biggest concern was will these people stay? Do you know, because how many times have we seen it even before that? Like after Gallagher, remember Gallagher's co-main event mm-hmm. when then ninety five percent of the arena left before the main event yeah. and it was the emptiest main event in the three arena it was ridiculous mm-hmm. alright let's get into some of the fights here and I, I let you take the, the James Gallagher one in a second because of, of the jiu-jitsu it was mostly that but I have to mention this takedown like if, if you kind of watched this fight and you saw oh, there was a takedown and he got on top go back and watch that takedown again and he kicks to the body Andy Stevenson called it with me last week on the podcast he said he's going to throw that kick Gallagher's going to catch it and he's going to take him down but look at the way James Gallagher caught the kick he caught the kick with the back of his hand his hand was turned backwards he caught the kick lifted up his leg then caught the leg and took him down with it it was you can talk about you know we talk about James Gallagher or whatever you know all he's talking everything like this but that was and you can talk about the opponent as well I mean, not being the best opponent in the world but that was the high level of the high level takedown that was unbelievably good and are you, know, you telling me that his hand was his palm was facing outward so he kind of caught the kick there and then switched so it was his right hand right let's say put your, your right hand up and you're looking at the palm of your hand you turn it the whole way backwards put it down by your side and he yes, caught the kick yes, yes. under his calf he caught his 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 kick. He caught the bottom of his calf with the his hand turned backwards, lifted it up, then went underneath it and caught it with his two hands and took him down. Yeah, I'm gonna, brilliant. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm uh, gonna pass the pass the credit off on that one, Sean. That's not a jiu-jitsu technique. That's a Thai technique. Mm-hmm. That's um that could be a bit of a Keen Cowley's influence. Yeah. Literally, the way I've seen a lot of Thai people recently messing around, that's how they would catch and sweep. Mm-hmm. In a Thai fight, they'll catch it that way, and then they'll sweep underneath. They, it's kind of like, I, I seen Andy's tweet saying that he catch off a, off a high kick takedown, what it, like, perfectly called. Mm-hmm. You know, he literally, like, for something like that to happen, that is just the result of a fighter who is who trusts the technique and has drilled it a specific amount of times and is constantly using it in training. Because as you're saying there, it's difficult, it looks impressive, and it's like a, a massively effective. Mm-hmm. And what so about when he got he, to the ground then? Like, how impressed were you with that jiu-jitsu? He, looks, he just looks so effortless, doesn't he? He has constantly done that throughout his career. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He has been prodigiously known as a fantastic grappler for so long in Ireland. Got his brown belt recently off John Kavanagh. A lot of people would argue that was overdue. John kept him in a, in a system of maybe saying like, oh, train in the gi, do you know what I mean? Do a bit more in the gi and that's how you get your brown belt or whatever. But mm-hmm. like when he progresses on the ground, James Gallagher does not concede a position. You know, James Gallagher has a very traditional style of jiu-jitsu that once he has passed your guard, he has no intention of having to pass it again. You know, so it just progresses in that sense. How he, um, the opponent, Stephen Graham, mm-hmm. at one particular time, I thought, like, this guy does know what he's doing. He was able to offer very good defense from James when James initially got on his back. And a couple of times it seemed like it was going to be finished. But Graham, whether it was peeling a hand or pulling it over the head, was just, he, he was he was surviving. But when he tried to, like, drop and spike James on his head, I was just like, uh. <laughs> like It was desperation, wasn't it? That, that shades of, like, early days of UFC. You know, like, mm. in fairness to him, James took an awful clatter off it you know like your man in whatever way he did it he actually made sure that james's head went into the mat first but 99 
percent of the time i would imagine that situation the guy on the back knows that he's about to get impact but he's not going to lose the position mm-hmm. do you know so you just have to like ride out through what's about to happen you're still going to be on the back and i think that annoyed james do you know he's seen how he just like stepped it up a gear then on the back he was like right this is done you know, he's like, I, I was trying to get the finish before that point. You're after dropping me on my head. Now you're getting finished badly. Yeah. And then, like, you know, Big John McCarthy talked to him after he adjusted that body triangle and, and got the choke and was, you know, a, a really, really great finish. But, like, I'm kind of a, a wider point with, with James Galler. You can, you know, you can kind of talk about this maybe than anyone else. You were the young lad coming up when you were doing this whole MMA interview and all. And, you know, a lot of people probably accused you of trying to be in Ariel Hawani back in the day. And a lot of people accused James Galler of trying to be conor mcgregor and stuff like like as a 22 year old young lad they're called hater sean yeah but like they're they're saying it for a reason because he you know it's hard not to compare and like i think they're saying it for a reason because those people are frustrated at what james is achieving i don't think they are i think they're they're saying it because he's actually (laughs) he is a bit like conor you know he at the way and he did the whole roar and thing he did the pound in his chest exact same way conor mcgregor does it not i like i don't know if he's if he's doing it on purpose because he wants to keep people do keep saying this and if he is it's the smartest thing he'll ever do because it keeps people interested and if he's not people are still interested anyway so it makes no odds like i think i think the biggest issue here is not what james is doing or if he's the similar mannerisms to connor or whatever if you want you know I think the problem is people misunderstanding it. Like, this is a 22-year-old young lad. He is not going to know who he is at 22 years of age. He might say he does, and he might say he's the most confident person in the world, but he's not. Nobody fucking is at 22 years of age. This is just what he is. Look, you can criticize him for whatever. I, I don't care, but, like, just understand it. He's a young lad coming up, and he has fucking... Conor McGregor looking on top of him for the last 10 years or whatever it is or, or 5 years or whatever as he's coming up and he's looking there and this guy goes and he wins a world championship like imagine if someone is you know at, at Man United and they're, they're, Cristiano Ronaldo was there for 5 years and they're coming up what are they going to try to do they're going to try to do what Cristiano Ronaldo does or you know Luis Suarez or Steven Dar- whoever it is in the world like and that's it's even more intimate for them because they're, they're training with each other for years and years and years it's only natural for a young lad to be like that. Now, when J- James Galler, if he's 30 years of age and he's still doing this, fair enough. But he's probably going to grow out of that, isn't he? Oh, I think that I had this conversation with somebody on, on the night. Do you know, is that like his age is a factor, but also take into like when he moved up to Dublin, mm-hmm. aged 15 to live with John Cavanagh. You're a lot more impressionable at 15 than you are at 22, Sean. Mm-hmm. So now go 15 to 18 when James Gallagher is living there. And that's seven years ago. So that's like literally when Connor is coming through Cage Warriors and is starting to like effectively, we know the story, Connor had retired before the UFC call. So like James Gallagher saw someone who he had already on a pedestal who reached a massive height in two Cage Warriors world titles and then was going to be finished. James would have known about that. Mm-hmm. What's what's his thought process as a young kid then? Being like, right, the guy who's the leader is now done already. And then what unfolded from that was beyond anyone's wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. So now there is a genuine, clear-cut path that has been forged by someone in front of James. Of course he was going to be influenced. Of course, like, mannerisms, maybe even people saying, oh, well, the way that he speaks. It's like, Sean, anyone that meets me thinks I'm from the North because I spend so much of my time in Uri. When you are around people, when you're around a voice, a dialect, and you're not from that area, you pick up those mannerisms subconsciously. Mm -hmm. You're talking that way subconsciously, and then people are like, oh, He's after saying shop the exact same way as Connor did. Oh, he's trying to be like Connor. It's like, 
No, he's been living in Dublin for the last eight years, mate, and he's picked up the accent. Mm -hmm. That's literally it. I don't think that... uh, The the number one thing that always comes up with James about this, and what I would say to someone is, well, what did you think of his post-fight interview? Mm -hmm. Oh, it was unreal. He's a lovely lad. He's really humble. He's really respectful. You can tell that he just enjoys it. I just wish that he didn't do this before the fight. But that's exactly why you watched it. And that's exactly why you're talking about it. And I know what he said backstage after the fight, that the humbling that he got from that loss was the best thing that could ever happen in his career. Mm-hmm. And do you not agree with him after that, Sean? Yeah. Like, did, like and, and how he handled himself after the fight and what he said to you guys afterwards. Mm-hmm. is I, Like, like when I asked him about, and I, I maybe worded the, the, the question a bit wrong because I said the word cocky and he didn't really like, <laughs> like that, but fair enough. But like, he answered a question. I asked him about like his mindset before the last fight and before this fight. And if anyone hasn't heard that, go back and listen because he he speaks like he speaks more intelligent intelligently than I can right now, and or any twenty two year old can. Because he what he said was like it was it was the mindset. And the second I said that that mindset, and he started kind of not. And then he said it like he lost focus before that last fight, and you could see like. This whole Conor McGregor thing. Let let him act like Conor McGregor all he wants outside the cage. If he's doing that, if he's not, whatever. If that's what you think. But as long as he doesn't act like Conor McGregor in the cage, that's all that matters. Because when he goes in there and he acts like James Gallagher, he is a fucking phenomenal fighter. And he's brilliant on the ground. And he's an absolute top, top prospect here. But when he goes in there like his last fight, trying to throw hands, trying to be open. He said it himself. He saw, he saw openings, but he just wanted to have a scrap. He wanted to have a fight. When he does that, he is he is not a great fighter. It's when you you need to be intelligent in there, intelligent in there. Have that focus, as he said. Have that mindset and go in and do that. And I think he can. You know, he's a brilliant fighter. Now, okay, Stephen Graham's not the best fighter in the world. We had a few people asking asking about it as well, and and a few of the other fights. We'll get to, to them in a second. The, the ma- matchmaking in this wasn't you know wasn't this even perfect matchmaking when we would have wanted. But for James Gallagher specifically, I coming think it's off good. Loss, coming off in the way the that he lost the last this, last this was, fight. This was the perfect matchmaking for James Gallagher I think go in there get it maybe not for a main event or whatever but 8,700 people turned up to watch it so who are we to criticise that but exactly that's like Ariel tweeted about that the other day and I just think that that's a point that actually should just be accepted and now started to appreciate it in the mixed martial arts community Mm. it is something that can be taken from boxing when somebody comes off a loss why are people so keen to see them lose again Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? What's wrong with that person that they got such a little buzz of enjoyment that they're like, okay, now who's he going to give him another, give him another one, mm-hmm. <laughs> give him another. Like I, I had worry for James going into that fight in all honesty against um, Stephen at the weekend. And it was simply because of the cut to 135. Yeah. James is so lost as, lost as a professional. Yes, it came against Ricky Banderas, but it also came after his first time making 135 pounds. Mm-hmm. We don't know how his body reacted to that. We don't know if the weight cut had a factor. I, I would like to see, could James Gallagher take the shot from Banderas at 145 and it'd be different. You know, we I don't know enough about it and we, we don't know enough about how his body reacted to the weight cut. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's done it differently this time. Maybe he's healthier from it. It's just James's future, I think, will fluctuate between the two divisions. And I just think that give him a match to see how his body performs at 135 is important because if it's good and if he is competent there then you've got a guy you can build a division around very comfortably Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean bellator that 135 pound division can now be built 
around a Gallagher run to the title and hopefully a title shot in Dublin sometime in the next year or two. Like. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on here to the, the co-main event and we'll, we'll be here all day, so we better go. Last, um, last shout-out to James Gallagher's body triangle from Mount as well. Because yeah, he, he, he had the it. back, he had mm-hmm. the back with the body triangle transition to it and that must be like one of the, mo- that's like a cobra around your stomach there. I just, you don't really see a body triangle be kept as it goes into the mount. So that was, that was slick. Yeah, 100%. What, what did you, you, I know you loved Ashling Daly's zombie, the cranberries walk out back in the day. Yeah. Peter Quilly's was pretty good too, wasn't it? Here, here's the thing, Sean. I'm going to call you out on it. Because I may love the cranberries, but I didn't see Ashling Daly's walk. I, if you remember that UFC Dublin event, mm-hmm. I think that there was some issue with credentials. Yeah, we were all the stuck media in the back. Yeah. had to stay in the back. Mm-hmm. And I met, we missed seeing that uh, reaction. Now, I got out for the main card. I was out for Paddy's fight that night. Uh, I, I was able to get out, sneak out to the seats, but we weren't able to get out for the zombie. So that's actually been a huge regret of mine mm-hmm. that I missed that. You know, I've, how many times that I shied on about atmosphere and energy and stuff like that? And that's what I live for in this. Peter Queeley's walkout had every little fiber on my body standing up. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, my only thing is, Peter, cut the track next time so that you don't have to walk as slow. But I love you forever for waiting until walking into the cage for the chorus to kick yeah, on. Perfect, and I it? love you even more for the fact that it the, the DJ cut it out towards the time where it was like the crowd continued it on then. Mm-hmm. Because there was that was just perfect. Like I can't believe I'm so happy I was able to witness that. I was so happy I was able to experience it. That is why you say all the good things about Irish MMA fans. Mm-hmm. You know, like that was just that was next level. That was up there with the best walkouts that I've ever experienced in MMA. Yeah, it was brilliant. Sweet Caroline before it as well it was pretty good. Right. The- no, <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Why not? No, it wasn't. Because the Fields of Athen Rye is what that UK DJ should have been playing. That's true, actually. Not Sweet Caroline. You're right. We were trolled. The Irish MMA fans, leery, excited, on a night out, they were trolled. We're not at the darts. Mm-hmm. This isn't the darts. They were a few days ago. Sweet Caroline played by a British television producer to get an Irish crowd up in arms for a TV live uh, intro. Should have been the Fields of Athen, right? That's all I'll say in the not matter. Ba- it's not a bad show in fairness, but it was, it was pretty good either. What did you think of the, the Miles Price-Peter Queeley fight? It was, it was a close one. Like, I, I thought I thought Miles just about did it, but that those first two rounds, I think Peter Queeley and Miles Price both said it actually afterwards in the scrums that, you know, it could have kind of gone either way and Peter Queeley, was, he was actually brilliant in his post-fight interview. He came out and spoke to the media and was making no excuse and said the beef was squashed and everything, but it was a very close fight, wasn't it? The third round, Miles definitely won it, but the first two, there was a lot of pushing against the fence. Queeley landed some some good shots, but as he said himself, he'd never landed that full-on shot that he wanted to land. But how, how did did you have it for Prime Miles Price? Um, to be honest, I thought it was a toss. I did think it was going to come down. I, I I know there was some dispute about like a split decision, but I do think that um, I do think that Peter lost himself the rounds simply due to a lack of urgency. Do you know, like Peter is a very good defensive wrestler. But his best defensive wrestling and offensive, but his best defensive wrestling and MMA fights have been displayed when fighters are actively trying to take him down and chain wrestling together because they're usually Russians <laughs> that are able to wrestle from a very early age. Whereas Miles employed a really good uh, offense tactic of that single leg attack up against the cage. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a referee cannot come in and call for 
like interference or say like or work from a position if a guy already has a leg hoisted in the air you can if you're just lying against the cage but in terms of like as a technique that can progress to a takedown and then if peter gets his leg out then it's a holding position on the cage that's where miles won that fight Mm -hmm. it was just uh peter Peter wasn't throwing caution to the wind in terms of his wrestling defense from there because Miles was hap- Miles knew that his next step was one step forward or one step backwards. Mm-hmm. If you are against a Dagestani, a Russian, another like good, good, good level wrestler in that situation, they are chaining from that single leg immediately and offering more openings to be countered. Mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd have to watch it back in terms of the strikes that were landed. It was uh, quite hard to see like what was landing and what was what was not. Peter seemed to land quite a lot of shots from the clinch, from the single leg position. And mm-hmm. um, both of them were doing like great dirty boxing uppercuts to the body. If I remember, like there was kind of like a back and forth of whoever's in cage control. The person who had their back against the cage was landing shots more than the person who was actually instigating the wrestling. Yeah. So that's the toss up for the judges. You know, it's like, all right, well, this guy's clearly landing strikes despite defending a takedown mm-hmm. and I, ju- I just thought that it was as close of a competitive mixed martial arts fight as you could probably get yeah. like afterwards it's like very hard to score and all that like yeah. I, d- I do think that by how fights are scored you could even make a case of miles winning all three rounds based off control you could give it to Queely the first two like uh, afterwards 100%. Peter, Peter thought he won the first and lost the second and I thought he had actually lost the first and won, <laughs> won the second so you know that that's just tells you how, how close it was but look uh, you know some people talking about a rematch I think you know you could do it just, just, you know the beef is kind of squashed but I'm sure they'd, they'd get it up again but yeah uh, look a good battle anyway for, for three rounds uh, Kiefer Crosby then against Daniel Linicek Obviously, very good uh, rear naked choke again. You know, Kiefer's turning into a really well-rounded mixed martial arts. And I, I asked him afterwards, well, you know, I was watching an interview you did with him for, for Severe a few years ago. Do you remember that? And everyone was kind of saying, oh, he's, he's a bit like Connor." before people said, oh, he's a bit like Connor," and it's a negative thing. <laughs> you know, but he was saying he was going, you know, he wanted to be a world champion and this was it for him. And, you know, it was before, you know, obviously. His was that a cage contender? I think that so. Our, he was really yeah. young in his amateur career then. I yeah. can remember first talking to him at a cage contender in Belfast and I was like, wow this guy is something like, you know, he's a good talker. Like he, and he was a good, like he just took his losses happily at amateur. Do you know what I mean? That that's one of the most focused amateur fighters who was acting like a professional I'd ever met Mm -hmm. because he was like, this record's going back to zero. When I turn pro eventually, I lose as many times. I'll keep winning, keep losing, keep making sure that my pro is perfect. And at the moment it is like six Mm -hmm. and oh, do you know, like that, that was another great, like he got his purple belt as well recently. And I know that he shouted out Lee Hammond afterwards in the in the cage, like because Lee has just Lee is just pure jujitsu in his head. You know what I mean? And he's definitely been working with Kiefer and Lee or Kiefer and Keen with like loads in the gym training, and that was just very composed from Kiefer. Do you know what I mean? Like he didn't on the ground before; he's looked hesitant. Do you know? I, but this time he looked sure of what his next steps were. You know, and I thought that was the biggest thing for him. He was like, he was just very calm on the back when he finally, when he got there, he knew that there was going to be a, an opening. And it's like, as long as I think eventually the guy ended up kind of giving his chin to let it go under. The choke was on his chin at the start, if I remember, or on his mouth, and it ended up under the neck. But when you have a guy who has, he kept, I don't know if, I, if I'm remembering the fight correctly. You might remember this particular thing more clear. Mm-hmm. Was he switching his stance before throwing the kick to the knee? 
Kiefer was throwing a lead kick to the knee very well, but he was he was the rhythm of how he was throwing it. The guy just wasn't able to gauge it at all. Mm-hmm. Kiefer might throw say a jab and then switch his stance and then it's a, a stab to the knee straight away. Mm-hmm. He was very offensive with that, like kick the John Jones kick to the knee. Yeah. That like it, it's brutal in mix. He was a lot calmer as well. That and, that and the low calf kick yeah. are two of the most like effective techniques, I think, in MMA at the yeah. moment. After that Josh Plant fight, I think like he kind of said in the post-fight interview as well that he was wanting to be a little bit more calm here and not get into that, that big brawl again, and he definitely didn't do that. And you know, It was a very, very good display. A few more, we won't be able to touch on everything for, for ages, but uh, Richie Smullen, another, you know, another jiu-jitsu guy on the ground, unbelievably good. George Courtney had a good win against uh, Ian Cleary as well, a comeback after, I think he broke his foot uh, in the first round of that fight as well. Dylan Logan had a really good win against Andrew Murphy with a good armbar. I think he, he said he popped it afterwards. He gave a great interview afterwards as well. Uh, Sam Slater lost it to, to Chris Duncan and he landed some big heavy shots. Chris Duncan coming over from, from Scotland. Very, very good win. Alfie Davis as well against uh, Daniel Iscatizzi after the, uh, after three rounds. Uh, got, got that win as well. Olga uh, Ruben got a, a good win there as oh, well. Shout out to that fight, Sean. Yeah. The only fight I've ever seen in history where two people kept the front headlock to standing. Did you remember that specific? No, like, I, I, was pretty, I, was, I think I was oh. in the back for most of that fight interviewing Will Flory or someone. But yeah, it looked like the weird, it's the weirdest thing you'll ever see in a fight. Mm-hmm. Both of them going for guillotines, if you imagine, from their knees. Yeah. And then both of them ended up standing. Oh, I did see that. Actually. Yeah, and yeah, they both yeah. still had their arms around each mm-hmm. other's necks. Unbelievable. Sorry, uh, Charlie Ward as well. There's much to talk about that one. Richard Kiley actually, I was talking to him uh, after the fight, and he was saying, "Watch that Charlie Ward fight back and watch the faint he did." And I was like, "Jesus, you're right." Actually, watch it back, and he threw he threw one shot to the body, then he fainted, and then he threw hard faint with the right. Yeah, do the then, exact same thing. Yeah. He came up with the left hook over the top. Absolutely brilliant. Really, really smart and big. Now, like Charlie has those heavy hands. I mean, we were interviewing someone before that as well. I was like, "Come on, let's get this over with, so we can, we can get in and, and watch this Charlie fight because it's not going to." be very long and what was it 34 seconds so you know that was some win for Charlie that was that was a serious knockout and easily the best best post fight interview of the night Mm -hmm. you know what I mean was he shown on the main broadcast Uh, didn't see the sky broadcast oh well like Mm -hmm. how did you not throw that in there you know like that was just that was a big like 185 will be very good for Charlie Ward Mm -hmm. if he's able to just keep getting fights where like people like uh i i don't know for that was a very important win for charlie mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like i just think that that's the sort of stuff that people knew of him for a long long time and now it's like now can we see a consistent run on a good platform in bellator where he's actually finishing these guys and putting mm-hmm. them away stiff yeah you know, it was brilliant uh paul ribbon and charlie leary as well that was a fight coming into it that like uh, me personally what haven't watching watching a lot of these guys la- over the last couple of weeks i thought that was going to be the most even fight the most high level fight and i think it 100 percent was there was nothing else really close to it i i actually had it a draw i think uh paul ribbon did very well won the first and won the third but i thought it was could have been a 10-8 for charlie leary in the second Paul Ribbon showed some serious heart and some serious fucking balls come through that second round and he was very emotional afterwards you know he was almost a year out after that badly broken nose and he got reddened up again in this fight and he was he did Red unbelievably unbelievably well to come through it like it was either 29-28 to Paul Ribbon or else a draw it was it was very close that way but some balls come through wasn't he is a legend uh, isn't he Paul Ribbon that, that interview he gave afterwards was phenomenal as well yeah no just like I, I, see, I was happy the way that I seen a vocal fan support on Twitter kind of being at Bellator saying that he should be further up the yeah. card 
the, the changes of the day resulted in that, that Reds are actually was quite high up on the card and there was a fairly full, the, the arena was virtually full by the time Reds or Reds or's fight happened. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the crowd did not add much more up towards Gallagher's fight from Reds or onwards. So I was like, he deserved that like so, so much. He is literally in a, in a, in a really awkward field of mixed martial arts at the moment. Do you know what I mean? How like guys are doing everything to stand out and they're taking advantage of like the opportunities that they're being given. Paul Redmond is a man who has been the exact same from the first time I have met him to how he conducted himself the other day. Like he is an absolute gentleman. He deserves all of the plaudits. It was very, very nice to see Neil Siri and Andy Ryan in his corner Mm -hmm. because that was a difficult fight for Paul because Charlie would have been better than him on the feet. Charlie's boxing and movement, I thought, was like he hit Paul with some heavy shots yeah, in that yeah. fight and he marked Paul up massively. And Paul is a guy who doesn't quit. And he's like, how just there was a lot of times in the fight, Sean, where Paul shot for takedowns and was stuffed immediately. Yeah. Imagine how draining that must be mentally right. for a fighter when you're getting lit up on the feet and you can't take the guy down. Yet he fucking kept going. He did not stop. He hit one of the best takedowns I've ever seen in an MMA fight with that ro- modified judo throw off the cage, mm-hmm. a rolling judo throw, definitely at Andy Ryan's playbook. And Paul Paul was able to like get to his positions where he was best, capitalize and win the fight from there. Mm-hmm. I thought he was unlucky not to get a finish from the back because he had amazing back control at two, st- at two points in the fight. And that, that was just... That was one of his most complete performances as a professional, I think. And I really hope that Bellator do well by Paul Redmond here because I heard some figures about like what potential people were getting here. Paul Redmond, we can we stand up as a fucking collective now and say that we're at the stage where we're noticing that we know what the dangers are after fighting. Paul Redmond is someone who deserves to be paid very, very, very well for his last couple of fights as long as he wants to keep fighting because it will help him afterwards. It will be the deposit on a gaff. It'll be the fucking six months rent on a personal training location. Do you know what I mean? This is a, the, he need, Bellator need to stand by a veteran fighter here who has given a lot to the growth of Irish MMA. And I really like that win was the best of the night for me at the weekend. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was a really good fight. And, you know, it's it's that fight we kind of, we need more of those fights in these belt regards, I think. F- even fucking fights, great fights, you know, like Paul Redmond. Nerve-wracking fights. Yeah, that really sort of, like, that close, like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like, 100%. just, edgy, that was edgier seat when you are emotionally invested. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Richard Kiley didn't come off uh, of a long layoff as well after that bad knee injury and he got a good win over uh, Mikhail Boucher as well. Uh, you know, <laughs> Richard, like, he, on the feet, he's a very, very hard man to, to beat. If you can't, if you can't take him down, he's so fucking awkward. You know, he talks a big game as well. But if he can, he can keep delivering like this. He, he can keep talking that big game. Okay, Mikael Busher is not the the best fighter in the world, but Richard Kylie did did very, very well. He got eye poked one stage. He mentioned it afterwards. His eye was kind of closing up a bit as well, and he kind of stopped and and he got hit with a big, big shot. And he was he was mad at himself after that, but he landed that big right hand, came over the top of that jab, the outside of it, kind of like. Not the exactly, equilibrium. Yeah. Not exactly like Michael Bisping, Luke Rockhold. It was the other way around. Obviously, it was the left hook with, with Bisping, but the same sort of shot right over the top of the shoulder, over the, the front lead hand, and he hit him with it, and, and he was he was gone straight away. So, you know, 
Richard Kiley is, is one of those guys. He he talks a big game, as I said, but if he can get a, a few more wins, you know, and he's he's calling Paul Daly out, calling Lorenz Larkin out, <laughs> and all of them, and if he can get one of them over to Ireland, that's a that's a big money fight for him, anyways. Very, very all, good. In all honesty, there to Richard Kiley, after watching, after seeing Venom Page and Daly, like. Let's let's just hold the daily talk for like another twelve months. Let's let mm-hmm. Paul Daly just get that little bit older, yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, just be get him over here because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, like everyone has that spot. Everyone has the trigger. Paul Daly is getting that little bit older. You know, like, like I'm saying this as if I know what Paul Daly's age actually is. <laughs> for all I know, Richard Kiley's older than he Paul Daly. Is I think, isn't but well, yeah, like there you go. Him. Like yeah. what I'm trying to say is that like if Richard Kiley at his current age, and let's say he is older than Daly, mm-hmm. and he's put he's able to land that shot to put someone out like that, then you he'll be able to land it in a year. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I think that would be the best time for him to take advantage. Plus, if a man is willing to wear pink trousers like that into mm-hmm. a ring, and then he backs it up with a finish like that. You can't say shit to that mm-hmm. man. Yeah, and then the next two two fighters, then the the Owen Roddy trained fighters, the Liam McCourt and Ryan Curtis. Ryan Curtis just outdid Liam McCourt by one second. Liam McCourt stopped it after the the first round at five minutes, and Ryan Curtis stopped it at four fifty nine. I know, obviously, Liam McCourt is very close to your heart. You've trained with her for a long time as well. Owen Roddy, two good fighters he has on his books there, doesn't he? Oh, big time! Like first of all, the Curtis fight, like. Ryan's last fight that I think, knee as well that knee by Curtis fucking he, hell c- well it was the opposite knee but he put up a post on his Instagram like two days beforehand of like a really high knee like that as well and I was like oh call it mm-hmm. fair play to you Ryan he um it was his last just so I'm not incorrect here his last fight was that one that we had seen when he had lost to the Spanish guy was it or had he fought uh, once more since then just looking up here I think it was no no oh yeah sure. yeah it was yeah yeah, yeah uh, he David had a Barres. lot of he had a lot of trouble getting matched between now and then. Mm-hmm. You've seen the improvement between now and then in Ryan Curtis as That's someone who's dedicated great, themselves as a full-time professional who is committed to this, who is who took his opportunity well on the mic afterwards, who was... I think he was just too excited. Do you know what I mean? He That knee would have been a finish had he taken it, easy for me to say, mm-hmm. had Ryan waited a split second longer before rushing in the guy wouldn't have been as close to him to instigate the takedown. The guy had the cage to kind of like push off and then start grappling against Ryan because he rushed in so quickly. That knee put that boy out. Do you know what I mean? Uh, two two or three shots there with a hand controlling the back of the neck, that was over. Do you know what I mean? And that's a viral finish. An amazing performance by Ryan. He looks so fluid in his striking, in his grappling. Um, that was... To, to get the finish when he got it as well, you know, like just as the crowd starts building up because the 10 second clapper happens, those those atmospheres are always hard to beat. Moments fighters will remember. Mm-hmm. I know Leo will be disappointed of not having gotten like a finish yeah. as such, you know, like I'm not too sure what a fighter's mindset is when it gets stopped in that situation. Um, I understand maybe the girl had a broken orbital bone. I'm not too sure. Did you hear? I, I don't know why it didn't seem like uh, it didn't seem like there was any damage to the eye that would result in a doctor stoppage, mm-hmm. unless the lady said like I'm I I want to get out here or something's broken, and um, so I was a little bit perplexed by that stoppage. But like Leah landed some very clean elbows from the mount from there, but she's a perfectionist, and to be honest, I think that she would be disappointed in many ways with her performance because. As a like a world champion in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, no gi, as an amateur champion littered with multiple submission wins, 
I have seen her finish that armbar from Mount so many times. It's been done to me so many times. She has a fantastic armbar. She is incredibly strong on top. And I think uh, I would I would be worried. I'm glad that that occasion has happened or now in her pro career. There was a lot of pressure going into that fight. She came in with an injury as well. She said it before she yeah. injured, injured her shoulder a couple of weeks beforehand as well. So I'm sure I, that, that I I well. believe there was like like a serious worry over the shoulder injury beforehand, and that was you know on top of the occasion, huge crowd, like Bellator starting to promote her that little bit more, a lot more interest domestically in the north. Do you know it's it's her life, it's her job. Do you know what I mean? It's a fantastic like. So many variables that we could never imagine that must go through a fighter's head and heart before they make that walk. Yeah. So it's like a young how, child at home as well, hasn't she? So yeah, a young a young kid as well. Like so, it's it's and drives from Belfast to Dublin, uh, takes classes in Belfast. You know, like just constantly, constantly on the go or training. So yes, a win, but the Liam McCourt that is that will operate at a hundred percent in the future gets that mount position doesn't lose it, lands clinical shots from the top and then submits the person or they give their back. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, that that shows the measure of a good fighter when they're able to pull out a win when maybe they're not even at their best. Yeah, 100%. Uh, then Will Flory as well, I suppose, the, kind of the last one. Need to talk Legend. About. You, you, uh, you mentioned it earlier on and you know, I talked to him during the week and he said, you know, Sean Taylor coming in here 8-1, and one, that's a, a very good record to, to get a win as dominantly as... As Will Flurry got it here with the rear naked choke um, around halfway through the second round, got a lot of good striking in the first round, got a few good takedowns, good on top as well. Like Will Flurry, he, he kind of says it himself all the time, but I've said it about him before that he's a really good athlete, isn't he? As strong, strong as a fucking ox, and he's you know that Tipperary blood in him. He's Will Flurry's a, a force to be reckoned with for a lot of these guys around. He says he's the best middleweight in Ireland, and you know it's it's hard to deny that right now, isn't it? He is a prospect I'm definitely excited for. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can't even, you can only call him a prospect because of his record. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how many fights has he had fall out on the last couple of years? Like, I know he was, I think he was meant to have a fight with a guy from my gym called Chris Meany before. And I think Chris failed the medical due to an eyesight thing. And like, I think that would have been a fantastic fight. Chris had a really good fight with Ben Forsyth a couple of years ago at Amateur. And again, like, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of progression doesn't happen for these guys domestically in comparison to other divisions simply because of the lack of people able to yeah. fight them. You know, and that's that's the bad side. The downside is that Will Flurry has basically been training full time for the last number of years and has is is relatively healthy. Do you know what I mean? Has the fights have never been off his fault of not materializing, do you know? So Minus the damage that he could have potentially taken in the last couple of fights had he been fighting more active. Now you're coming into a time where you're a prominent potential middleweight figure on Bellator's European scene and you're after putting away a well-known guy who was 8-1. and one. Do you know? like and, and as you said, like did it really impressively. Do you know what I mean? Like just... I think it actually was the Will Flurry fight where Will made a stance change and ended up taking Sean Taylor down off it. There was a takedown that happened where like he ended up being really close and got him down very fast simply because of a, a fast uh, like stance change off a jab. And I was like, he was just so thorough. Do you know what I mean? It's like he he doesn't stop. Like he didn't look tired after at all. Like that's a he's a man in a different life, Sean, who should be leading the full forward line for Tipperary GAA. 
He should, yeah. He should. And they'll only be losing to Limerick anyway still, so he's probably better off the, oh. where he is now. So the, 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 best, the best team in the world. I always give it a little bit of a slag in about, about, about Limerick and Tipperary as well as a half It's in my nature. I couldn't I couldn't possibly do it. With, with What's the crack with Tipperary having two license plates as well? Yeah. Tipperary North, North and Tipperary South. South. Yeah. yeah. I had a car that was Tipperary South before yeah. and I was like, oh, they're very big of themselves to think that they deserve to split the county North and South on car registrations, it's a, aren't it's a, they? It's a huge county though, Tipperary. It's, I think it's the... Is it the second biggest county in Ireland? Well, what's the biggest? Be? Cork. Well, there's no Cork, no, Cork North and Cork South. License no, plates. Cork are too cocky. Cork are just the best. We can only have one. We are the Limerick Cork is, is the, Catalan, the Catalan of, uh, of Ireland. <laughs> it is. That actually, Limerick is LK for the county and L for the, the city. So we've two as well. Dublin's only oh, one then. as well, didn't it? D? Yeah, so yeah D. There you go. Anyway, that's it, Andrew. Thanks very much for having me. Any, any final words before we go here? And I yeah, I just want to say that... Uh, Despite all of the crack about the fights this weekend uh, or last weekend gone, Cage Warriors this weekend. Pretty good. Yeah, I have been saying this to you around, for years, Sean. Yes, Decky McAleen and your boy. Years, years. Decky McAleen is fighting this weekend against a very good record pro. Mm-hmm. Decky McAleen is five and one. Within a year, I'm telling you, within a year, he will be in contention for the featherweight championship in 145 in Cage Warriors. There is no doubt in my mind. I think that between himself, Reese McKee, uh, Joe McColgan, uh, James Webb, who's fighting Chris Fields' fighter, who's fighting for the world title this weekend, mm-hmm. I think that Cage Warriors will be back in Belfast. I think that Cage Warriors will build a strong presence in Ireland again, in Ireland again, mm-hmm. potentially in the north. Guys like these, like for just for talk's sake, right? Decky McAleen and sold like fifteen hundred or a thousand tickets in Uri for Cage Legacy before. Cage Warriors going to a small venue in the north, knowing that they could sell a thousand tickets off one fighter, is absolutely printing money. Do you know what I mean? With their production, with their whatever, it's it's ridiculous. So I'm expecting a finish for Decky at the weekend, and he's just like, that's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, Sean. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm not saying that history is repeating itself, but like I grew up in Irish mixed martial arts. I was very young when I started all of this out, and I've been on a fucking whirlwind journey the last couple of years that I never thought would happen. And now I feel like I'm back, I've reset and I'm back at the start of it because I'm training day in, day out with people like Decky, like Marcin, like an amateur, a group of amateurs that are just really, really good and just focused on getting better. I'm telling you, this is the start of it. This is the I'm I, I'm right. I'm right all along. Team Tara's are going to be a prominent mixed martial arts team, fingers crossed, in Ireland in the next few years. And it's well deserved for my coach Sebastian and Sean. We'll They're legends. We'll see. I hope they are. Fair play to be good. So, team, you know, more non- we'll see. We'll yeah, see. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. All right. Tell, um, tell everyone and at Andrew McGann underscore. Is oh, no. Don't be. I don't. I don't use me social media much anymore. I'll be no. posting the odd jujitsu clips. I'll be uh, quoting Sean Sheehan's tweets and telling him how much I love him. Beautiful. I like and one last thing as well Sean sorry mm-hmm. just on that like if, if I'm going to leave you on something wise and valuable do you know yes. what I mean a huge thing that I have learned over the last 12 months in particular is not to take myself too seriously mm. I have I spent my youth chasing after something and I can remember being so excited when Severe MMA hit a million views on YouTube total combined for their for their YouTube page mm-hmm. since then we've had like millions of views on specific videos and like I'm still sitting here in my bedroom on a microphone on Skype talking to Sean Sheehan and training jiu-jitsu twice a day in Dundalk. Do you know what I mean? What happened and what you see on the internet means nothing. As long as you're fucking having good crack in your own life and you're fucking happy with what you're doing, that is the main thing. That's why I'm not posting if I win a competition or if I medal in a competition. Because like, why like, do you know what I mean? You're doing it for you. You're not doing it to be 
to be thanked or to get a notification that someone liked your picture. Do you know what I mean? And I genuinely believe that one day I can maybe be a world champion or a European champion or high level champion in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And you're not going to do that being fed and encouraged by false likes and dopamines from people you don't know. So surround yourself, people like yourself, Sean, who've supported me over the years and been a great friend to me. You're a fucking legend. And what you're doing is amazing. I'm so proud of what you've done in the last 90 something episodes with Graham. Like you're an absolute beast and you should be proud of what you've done. And interviewing at the weekend, like you're a fucking beast. Well done, Sean. Thank you, Andrew. Well done to you too. I'm going to start crying here. So we've got, <laughs> we better go. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. I'm going to hand it over to Sean Sheehan now for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Take it away, Sean. Thank you very much, Sean. Joined now by uh, by Graham McDonnell uh, after a, a big weekend of MMA. Look to look forward to the next big weekend of MMA as well. Graham Hartings, how are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm not too bad. What about that boring Man United versus Liverpool game yesterday? Oh my god, it was so bad. Awful. I, think- I was watching it with my bird, and I was like, I was like, I'll try and watch this game. It'll be it's a big game. It's a lot very important. And she's trying to watch it, and just like this is, she's like, this is terrible. I'm yeah. like, sorry, this is terrible. I'm just like, yeah, this it is was, terrible. It was so awful. Like I think, <laughs> like both of us can even complain about it because no, neither oh. side really. Man United had kind of one chance of Smalling had one, just headed the ball, and that was it. And yeah, no, Liverpool no. had a few chances where they just messed it up at the last kind of vital pass, but it was mm-hmm. just sloppy. It was so slow. Everything was so slow and sloppy. Just this, oh, Jesus, like, and playing Milner right back was a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the only good thing about it was, it was funny afterwards, that Klopp blamed the Man United getting injuries on Liverpool not winning. Like, that's hilarious. Well, <laughs> well, in fairness, the ref added on four minutes disgracefully in the first half, where literally the whole first half was wasted with the injuries. Like, that was yeah. a bit of a disgrace, in fairness. Because like, yeah. four minutes is a standard, like, you know, just add on for, when nothing happens and when literally 10 players have hit the ground. Different or well, ten different occasions of people in the ground. I think like mm-hmm. Maddow went down, uh, Andy Robertson went down. Uh, there was like even people that didn't go off went down and I took a lot of time. And, and David De Gea was taking so long taking goal kicks as well. And the ref just added on four minutes they and then two been, minutes at the end again. They could have been there for fucking three hours yesterday. No one would have scored that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what about this Belter card? I've given my thoughts on it already. What, what did you think of the whole thing? Give us your kind of your your quick breakdown yeah. of the whole Belter card. Yeah, well, I really enjoyed it. I was watching it from home. I wasn't actually there like you, so uh, it's, it's a different. But uh, yeah, I thought there was some really good fights on it, and uh, it was great that it was on TV and on the app, and everything went way smoother than any Bellator I can remember. What stood out for you on the performance-wise or fight-wise? Um, Kiefer, again, was very good. Uh, Ryan Curtis, obviously, was really, really impressive. Uh, there was a lot. There's actually a lot of impressive performances on it. Um, Kylie was impressive. He showed a bit of a bit of takedown defense as well. Okay, uh, maybe maybe um, the opponent isn't exactly like you know Alex Lahore level, but he shouldn't be. People were saying he shouldn't be fighting Alex Lahore at the time, and you know maybe the step was too quick, especially with an injured injured knee. But it showed that he's maybe what he was saying about having gone back and worked on his all round game that maybe he's more comfortable there, even especially with him kind of going for the takedown himself. Sorry, uh, going for the takedown himself as well. So it was a bit of improvement shown there. Uh, there was there was a lot of good performances on the card. It was uh, I'd say it was a long card to be there at for for you. Like we didn't even get to see the first few fights, and it seemed like a lot of fights. Maybe that's the only thing that 
maybe if they could take shorten down a bit, maybe that would be one of the criticisms. It was just too many fights, and even a few fell off. So it was a busy kind of night for me, so I didn't know what was kind of going on. <laughs> Doing all the scrums in the in the back and everything, yeah. But it was it was a pretty enjoyable fight. Like we we'll get we we'll get more into it when in the questions towards the end. But I think uh, Ian Gary sent in a question there, and a few people have said it about. It, there's obviously there was a lot of mismatches on this and so for one negative part was obviously we, myself and Andrew talked very positively about uh, about the whole car but you know a lot of mismatches wasn't there and there was kind of look the main event I, I we said it last week obviously a huge mismatch James Goller and Stephen Graham he, no business in there with him you know Kiefer as well against Daniel Olenicek is obviously a, a pretty big mismatch and, and a few more as well Charlie War got the early knockout and, and you know and a yeah it was a vicious knockout in fairness what, like what you think of that like the the whole the, the kind of the mismatch in the card a lot of people have been kind of saying that as well and that's maybe the only negative to come out of, of Saturday night yeah that's that's standard Bellator isn't it really yeah I suppose yeah well they're building up guys until they get to the, the, the top level like they, there's a lot of mismatches and a lot of uh, a lot of their prelims are just complete either guys starting their career or just complete mismatches so it's just standard Bellator it's probably a higher standard prelim than premium card than most Bellators mm-hmm. yeah 100% alright we'll get more into that during the, the questions in a while uh, but UFC uh, while we're we kind of hit on this last week's pride card a bit before we get into the big card next week um, what, anything stand out I suppose Peter Yan against John Dodson was yeah, the, the stand out I was going to say that definitely stood out Peter Yan kind of proved a lot of uh, proved a lot in, in that fight okay John Dodson's um Maybe a little bit small for the division, but he's caused a lot of people a lot of problems. He's he has a TKO over TJ Dillashaw in that division, so he's definitely no joke. And he's maybe just below that upper echelon, or used to be in that upper echelon mm-hmm. in in the division. So that's a huge win from an, an impressive win. And he hit Dodson with some big shots, and Dodson stayed there as well. And um, Dodson went for a few takedowns, and uh, I think I believe he ended up on top at one stage. And Peter Yan was able to scramble back to his feet pretty quickly and sh- show more more to his game than we've seen before. So we, I think he answered a lot of questions there, and he's. He's cemented himself as a, as a really good prospect. Yeah, and, you know, even he came through a bit of adversity in this. You know, John Dodson knocked him down pretty heavily there at one stage and he kind of yeah. put him off balance as well, I think, was in the first round with, with a bit of a shot. But, you know, we talked... I don't think he was ever kind of about to be finished or anything, no. but, yeah, he definitely took some big shots. Yeah, 100%. We, you know, we talked about it last week and, you know, looking at guys coming up, and I suppose McGregor's obviously the, 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 uh, the go-to example and, you know, it's hard to tell how good these guys are. On, until they actually meet it, even you know someone like you filming the documentary, seeing him in the gym and knowing how good he is, even you know for himself, it's you can't yeah. prove it until you go in there and do it. And some that, guys are, are really good in the gym, and then they go in there and they can't do it. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly what Peter Yan did, didn't it? Like John Dodson, he is one of these guys. If you beat John Dodson, that's it. Automatically, you're you're a very very good fighter. Only the best of the best beat John Dodson. Okay, there might be a couple of examples of those who hadn't haven't, but like John Dodson. He's a, he's a really good fighter, a tricky as fuck fighter, like really, really tricky fighter. He's so fast. But Peter Yan's game plan and his execution of that game plan in this were just phenomenal. Like, if you watch it tr- towards the start of the fight, and the first couple of minutes of this fight actually changed the whole fight. Because what Peter Yan did with switching stances stopped John Dodson from kind of circling out as much as he normally does. Dan Hardy was saying it on the commentary that... Dodson, he's only two ways to go, left or right, because Peter Yan is pushing him back and, and you know, stopping him from going forward and stopping him from going back because he was pushing him back against the cage. And I I agree to a certain extent, but I disagree because he stopped as well, giving him the left and right because he kept switching stances. And he only had to do it at the start of the fight because he realised, uh, or John Dodson realised, that every time Dodson went to go left, he switched stances to hit him with the power hand left. 
if he switched to go right, he switched Sanchez in with a power hand to go right. So Dodson knew whenever he tried to circle, Jan had the answer for it. So there was nothing he could do but stand there and fight Jan in the pocket. He was stuck against the cage exactly. a lot of the time as well. It was, it was perfect. He did it absolutely brilliantly. And he just... He took uh, Dodson clean out of his game. There was nothing he could do. But Dodson did, actually did pretty well for that position. He fought him in the pocket. He landed that big left hand straight down the middle uh, when Yan kind of got stuck with his hands down at one stage. And, you know, Yan as well, looking at him, I think he is open for that big shot as well. I was thinking about it, but I hadn't seen the result. I obviously watched it back. I was at Bellator, but I hadn't seen the... the um, see how the fight I saw the result but I hadn't seen how the fight had gone and when he knocked watching it before he knocked him down I was like he is open for those shots as well because he comes in he comes in with the hands high but he comes in and he throws a lot of shots at at one time kind of you know he'll throw three or four shots at a time uh, and he's open to the body as well so like some big striker can can have a good you know can have a good fight against Peter Yan and can you know maybe he'll get knocked out a couple of times in his fight, in his career but he is the type of guy who will win almost all the fights because he is so good at what he does. His takedown defense is really good, as you said, when he got knocked down and Dodson landed on top. He got straight back up. He's, you know, his his jab is just phenomenally straight shot down the middle, and it's power as well for 135 pounds. He has big, big fucking power. I can't stress enough how good Peter Yan is. You know, he <laughs> there's a lot of good prospects coming through from Europe with uh, in 135 with uh, Nathaniel Wood and with um, Tom Duke and one a few more, but he has to be ranked up there right at the top, hasn't he? He's he is really good, and he needs to step up now, doesn't he? He needs one of those, maybe not you know Dillashaw or Cruz uh, or or Marais yet, but maybe he, I think he called out Jimmy Rivera, maybe someone like that or an Aljamain Sterling or someone like that. They'd be all good fights, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think both of them fights make sense. Um, maybe Sterling makes more sense because it's close that they they both fought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also is like a, a difficult storm matchup against Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain Sterling has a lot of tools and could cause him a lot of trouble. It'd be very interesting to see how that fight looks and would answer even more questions, I think, as well, uh, grappling-wise. Yeah, 100%. Um, we got to come into some of the other fights in a second, but the main event, Thiago Santos versus Jan Blachowicz. Not the most exciting fight in the world and uh, until it finished and, you know, Thiago Santos obviously landed that, that big counter shot which he was kind of looking for all night. I think if it, was, if it kept going the way it was, maybe you'd favour Blakovic with, with his cardio and stuff going late. But not the most exciting fight in the world, but not a good finish for Thiago Santos, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a good finish, but yeah, it wasn't. Uh, Jan Blakovic fights are never really that exciting, I suppose. But uh, it was a, he was trying to... Santos was trying to make some stuff happen. I think he had like a... Capoeira kick into a spinning back fist and stuff. So he was, he was trying to, to add the flair there, and then at the at the end, obviously, it, it worked for him. Uh, maybe it wasn't as fancy as that, but uh, I think he had he had more tools and was was trying to make it happen more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, look, he's won eight of his last nine fights as well. You know, he's beaten Anthony Smith, beaten Jimmy Manoa, beaten Eric Anders, now beaten Jan Blachowicz as well. And, you know, he has to be he has to be up there after obviously after coming up from from middleweight as well. He's won his last three in a row and there isn't that much talent <laughs> at light everywhere you know especially if, if Anthony Smith was to beat John Jones next week obviously very unlikely you'd have to uh, you know talk about Thiago Santos then going for going for a title but even if he doesn't you know he's he's right he's right up around there now Jan Blachowicz I think was ranked number six or something like that or, or maybe even a little bit higher because he had won a good few in, in a row as well so you know a, a big win there for for Thiago Santos uh, you know 100% anything else I suppose Stefan Struve 
uh, kind of half announced his retirement after uh, a good display. He got knocked down early, and then he got on top in the second round and got a got an arm triangle. He kind of, you know, he he went full Graham McDonald there and saying he's not really retired, but he is yeah. kind of retiring. It'd be great to see someone like this retire on a win like this, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, it wasn't very convincing retirement. We were talking about GSPs before, like GSPs kind of guy who, if he calls a calls a press conference, makes a big deal that you probably be more likely to believe him. But when you kind of do a half retirement after a fight, it's it's probably he'll be back pretty soon mm-hmm. yeah 100% yeah but uh, a good win anywhere for him there Chris Fishgold as well I suppose uh, a guy we saw a lot coming through and he lost his, his UFC debut but I think after that we kind of were saying that Chris Fishgold is the kind of the style that will win a lot of fights in the UFC as well because he just makes it he's a pain in the arse for, for lads like he just drags them down drags them against the fence beats them up and, and a lot of good submissions as well got got the rear naked choke against Daniel Timor obviously brother of, of David Timor who's a, a top fighter now in the UFC and Daniel is no joke either so that was a, a very good win for him um, did that stick out to you anything else on the, on the undercard there anything stick out to you um, no not particularly I was kind of just thinking there while you were talking I think the, the Bellator card I, I enjoyed a lot more maybe it's because I'm Irish and there's loads of Irish guys on the card but uh, I just thought the, the fights were more enjoyable as I say maybe that's because I have an, an extra interest in, in those fights rather than the the UFC fights are on. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, just want, I want to mention Gillian Robertson as well. She had a good uh, submission win against uh, Veronica Macedo as well. Very good there. And uh, um, Michael Olszechuk, I believe is his name, got an absolutely beautiful liver shot uh, KO of Jean Vellante and just absolutely beautiful. You can't beat a beautiful, beautiful liver shot. So let's move on here to UFC 235 next weekend. As I mentioned there a second ago, Anthony Smith Lionheart taking on your boy John Jones in the main event. It's it's kind of weird that John Jones is fighting again, isn't it? It's like, it feels like he only fought about three weeks gone. He's back in here. We usually have to wait like a year and a half for John Jones fights, but you know this is yeah. Usually there's massive controversy. Well, I suppose yeah. it's still time. <laughs> there is time. I'm anyway, like four, five days out now. But um, it's it. This is a, you know if we talk about Bellator having mismatches, this is another real mismatch here, isn't it? Yeah, I think one of the promos they played as well. John Jones is kind of talking about very very confident i think he knows this is this is in his head he's thinking this is one of the easiest fights of my career and i think it prob- probably is one of the easiest fights of his career that can be dangerous as well though you know Anthony yeah. Smith, he does hit hard and everything like that <laughs> i think john jones is always kind of blase about things though if it was yeah. somebody else he might be worried but with john jones i think like you know he's talking he, he's talking about he's out in the, he's out in the coke the week before he fought daniel cormier the first time so mm-hmm. yeah look uh, watching some of anthony smith's fights this morning um look he what he does is he comes forward he throws a lot of big shots he's, he's a good lead hand he, he jabs pretty well and he fakes pretty well as well to to land those to land those big shots inside but you know doing that against john jones is nigh on impossible he's the best in the world at managing distance like that he's the best in the world at at not just jabbing, but fighting for the front hand. And if you if your whole game plan, and I'm sure it won't be for Anthony Smith, but if your whole game plan usually is to fight with the front hand, and you're going in fighting John Jones, yeah, you're on, you're on to a, a loser there already. Uh, in fairness, look, there's, as you you'll probably point out, it, there's always a chance in MMA of landing that one big shot or you know a big knockdown or or, or something like that and, and jumping on the back, but. 
this I don't know it's, it's obviously very un- unlikely unless unless something miraculous happens here but look I think for John Jones when he's fighting a light heavyweight as well when you know Daniel Cormier isn't around or he's a uh, you know out injured or whatever or retiring or up at heavyweight it's going to be a lot of fights like this for John Jones and maybe a little bit like a you know like a Chris Cyborg taking taking <laughs> just the kind of the next contender and I, I, do you think like we have to be kind of happy with that with it's John Jones? We're just kind of happy that he's actually fighting and he's just going in there fighting the next contender, whoever there, whoever's the next man, kind of ready for him. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I always like a John Jones fight. It's a, l- a little bit different than a lot of the other fights. So, uh, um, yeah, I think I think it is coming comes to that. It came to that with like Anderson Silva and GSP, where yeah. people didn't really mind who who they were fighting. They're just like, oh, an Anderson Silva fight or a, a GSP fight, or now like, oh, John Jones is fighting. Maybe they the casual fans haven't heard of most of the people he's fighting anyway, so it doesn't really matter to them. Mm-hmm. The mad thing about this as well is like you know we talk a lot about guys maybe being out or or uh, I talked about kind of Max Holloway going away and fighting it, and we'll get to that later on fighting it uh, at lightweight, and then maybe if he came back, the, the division kind of would have sorted itself out, maybe made a couple of contenders or whatever. Although there's more contenders, you know, there's a few contenders there already, but at light heavyweight, that's just not <laughs> not happened at all. You know, Jones has has kind of been gone for a couple of years. Carmi has been gone for what probably close to a year now as well and no real new contenders have have emerged okay Anthony Smith you could say as one I just mentioned Thiago Santos but you know two lads coming up from middleweight who are never never great middleweights you know uh, and, and, and they're the guys kind of maybe in line for John Jones it's, it's kind of a sad reflection on that division but it, you know it's just what we have I'm sure Jones will be coming in here and he will get the win and maybe he'll call out a Brock Lesnar maybe he'll call out Daniel Cormier something like that will happen but you know it's <laughs> I suppose this is the kind of fight where yeah we're, we're we're looking forward to seeing John Jones we're kind of maybe looking forward to this to seeing what he's going to say in the post-fright interview afterwards and who he's going to call out or what's going to be next for John Jones. But, you know, overlooking Anthony Smith as well, I suppose, no, we shouldn't be doing that, but it's it's hard not to uh, in this situation. And so in, the, in the comment event then, Tyron Woodley versus Cameron Usman, that's not half as much of a mismatch, is it? Two, two, I wouldn't say similar fighters. I think Woodley has a lot more power in his striking, whereas Usman is more of a technical striker, but very, very strong wrestlers and very, very good on top, both of them, uh, when, when they get there. And very smart fighters as well, I think, both Usman and Tyron Woodley. How would you see this one going? Like I think Usman's a very good fighter, caused a lot of a lot of problems for everybody in the division. Mm-hmm. Maybe except <laughs> Tyron Woodley. Yeah. We'll soon see, but I think Tyron Woodley's style probably means that it'll be handy enough for him uh, if he can perform at the level that he's been performing at for his last however many title defenses. Mm-hmm. I just. <laughs> I think it's a tough, it's a really tough matchup for for Usman. Like, uh, he can get takedowns against nearly anybody, but can he rush in against Ty- Tyron Woodley? Get get takedowns easily? I don't think so. And if he does rush in, he's he's probably going to eat some big power. And Tyron Woodley can can wrestle himself really well, even though maybe he doesn't use it as much uh, recently as he did early on in his career. Uh, he still has that whenever he wants it, and he um, whenever he wants to turn to it. Um, so I think yeah, I think if if Woodley's if Woodley performs anywhere near the level or close to the level that he's been performing at, I think it'd be a handy enough victory for him here. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how Woodley actually fights because you know I mentioned Usman is a very 
a very technical striker but I think like when I, when this fight was made I, I was thinking like this is like a year maybe 18 months too early and I okay I said that before with Chris Weidman when he fought Anderson Silva as well and we know how that finished so maybe this will be the same but it it's it feels like Usman is a guy who, when you're kind of a wrestler and you come in and you start to be a technical boxer, and Tyron Woodley went through this as well, you know, he, he was the same, you know, he lost to fucking Nate Mark Hart and, and a few more guys as well on his way up, but when you come in there and you try to fight that game, it I think it takes a long time to actually kind of learn that game and to be world class enough at that game to win a UFC um, uh, welterweight title, so I think right now... Uh, look, I, I don't think he'll be able to take Woodley down, and if he is, Woodley will get back up or straight away or, or get his back to the fence or, or whatever and, and, and make it tough for Usman. But I don't think he will. But on the feet, like, I don't think Usman will be able to out-technique Tyron Woodley because he's so good. You know, he's he's gone toe-to-toe with Wanderby Thompson and, and Rory McDonald and, and other guys as well. Okay, he lost to Rory and probably lost to Wanderby once as well. But still, he, he, you know, he hang in, hung in there, especially with Wanderby uh, recently. So, uh, why I say I'm interested to see how Woodley fights as well, like, I think Woodley sometimes, and why he kind of has five-round fights maybe sometimes and why he... Why he maybe, why people criticize him a little bit for for maybe not being dominant enough, is because he has maybe too much respect for guys he fights and maybe not enough respect for his own power and maybe he's just his intelligence and you know the first rule is hit and not get it and you, I, I'm not criticizing him at all for that but it's why I'm saying that now is okay it's granted that against Wanderby and everyone else but I think against Usman I think he will have a big advantage in the striking and I think especially his power if if he can kind of duck those jabs from Usman coming in get in underneath land those big body shots get him thinking about it and then land big shots over the top I think he can beat him that way but he'll need to kind of raise the pace a little bit and you know uh, you you always mention it as well with Tyron Woodley it's maybe a little bit worried about cardio going about with five rounds you know he carries a lot of muscle and and stuff like that. Maybe he doesn't want to up that pace to do that. But I feel like he did a little bit against against Darren Till when he kind of realised that that he had the better of him. I think maybe if he goes the first one or two rounds and realises he has a big advantage over Usman, maybe he can raise it in the third and fourth and maybe get the finish there. But it's it's a, it's definitely an interesting one to see how Woodley actually fights here, isn't it? Yeah, like uh, it could be a case where Usman gets a puts a lot of or hits a lovely shot or puts a lot of effort in and gets a take down early but as you say like I see a fresh Tom Woodley been able to get up mm-hmm. pretty quickly like in <laughs> he, he's a very good game planner and he's very good at sticking to a game plan Woodley even if the crowd doesn't like it so he's he's not really worried about outside outside perceptions and all that stuff so I don't see him getting sucked into any kind of any kind of like goading or anything like that and I don't see if he gets taken down him being like oh I need to return the takedown and going into that I don't see that happening mm-hmm. which can happen to some guys um, it's like if they get hit with a leg kick they want to hit straight back with a leg kick or if they get taken down they want to return with a, with a takedown of their own so uh, like can Usman hold and ground and pound Woodley down for five rounds I don't I really don't think so mm-hmm. can he outstrike Woodley I don't think so like it is MMA anything can happen he can land a big shot and early and change the fight but I think all signs and all kind of the way the styles match up it all points to, to Woodley winning here mm-hmm. okay so two possible mis- mismatches in the, in the main event and the core main event <laughs> yeah it's just, yeah, it's just it a is, matchup so sometimes in MMA yeah. like you know Usman will cause a lot more trouble for nearly everybody else in the in the division but mm-hmm. just stylistically he doesn't cause as many problems for, for Woodley in my opinion I'm interested in your answer now to this next one uh, Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren is that a mismatch? 
I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, yeah. it's so hard to know what, what, what's Aspirin been doing over there in the wilderness and <laughs> getting no contests against guys nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. Um, like, the Koreshkov, like, he has some wins on his on his record that are good, like, but the Koreshkov that he fought is a completely different guy than, than the, the new guy, the, the current uh, Koreshkov. So, it's really hard to know. Like Robbie Lawler, Robbie Lawler is going to cause he's he's going to be caused trouble with like Ben Askren's early enthusiasm for takedowns, which is going to cause anybody trouble. But if he can just avoid that, or just get back up quickly and avoid the initial burst of, of Ben Askren takedown wise, I think he probably have a pretty handy night here. Where mm-hmm. Askren striking last one we saw was was really poor, like yeah. really poor. I think this. I think. But it's so hard to know what Ashman because we don't know. We just yeah. don't know. We don't know Robbie Lawler as well. Though. That's the thing. Like I think if this is the Robbie Lawler that fought Rory McDonald uh, back in the day, I think he wins this handily. To be honest, because he has great takedown defense, really, really good striking, and he would just—he's a terrible matchup. Ben Askren said it himself at the press conference there recently. Robbie Lawler's a fucking terrible matchup for me, and he is—he's dead right. But is this the same Robbie Lawler? No, he didn't look great in that that Cowboy Cerrone fight. Obviously, he got knocked out heavily by um, by Tyron Woodley, and he has—I think he had an ACL injury as well. And he's he's been struggling for the last couple of years. So if this is not the normal Robbie Lawler, if this is a different Robbie Lawler, and asking go, go in and take him down, he'll probably win that fight, and maybe he'll get get a finish, or maybe he'll just take him down for three rounds in a row and, and win twenty win thirty twenty seven or something like that. But if Robbie Lawler can stop that shot. And if if Robbie Lawler can get this fight striking for Even a prolonged period, if he can't period, stop the shot, if he can if he can take the shot and just get back up, yeah, and yeah, but if he can get prolonged periods on the, on standing up, this will be easy for him. This will be a bigger mismatch than, than Anthony Smith versus John Jones if he can do that. What can he do? Like that's it's so interesting. It, it's it's that unknown. This is why I'm. And so what, what stage is yeah? What stage is Robbie Lawler at now? Like you know, he, yeah. we thought he was finished like ten years ago, and, and he made a massive resurgence, and he's kind of looked like he's on the way down again. But you, you just never know. With, with, with certain guys, it is sometimes they'll fight to the occasion, or sometimes like in Strike Force, for example, Robbie Lawler kind of looked disinterested. I, 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 like now that he's kind of been the champion, and he's not kind of. He's not kind of on the route to, to becoming the champion again. Is he still as in, as interested as he was when he was fighting Rory McDonald, for example? Yeah, it's in, who yeah. knows? It's interesting. See, that's that's why maybe you know that's the biggest unknown coming in <coughs> coming into this uh, this weekend. Really looking forward to that. But this it's a really good card all the way down. You know, Tisha Torres fighting on the on the main card. Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Zabit. Munoz as well. Zabit against uh, Jeremy Stevens. How do you see that one going? Uh, uh, I think Zabit's gonna gonna do it to be honest, but. Uh, uh, but Jeremy Stevens, he's he's very he has tools that can put people away. He's very dangerous on the feet, and he's kind of stopped loading up as much on his shots as he kind of used to kind of tire himself out doing that. But he's yeah. kind of more more calm and composed than than he used to be. So he he can cause trouble, but I just think Zabit has a lot of tools, and I think I think there, there's going to be some questions answered about Zabit here probably if if the fight goes longer than a few minutes like if it goes around uh, past one round or two we'll probably find out a lot of things about Zabit and uh, I think Zabit is probably in one of the we were talking about contenders or prospects earlier he's probably one of the one of the most of the of the prospects he's 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 one of the the most kind of nailed on in, in my head to, to go on and do better things but yeah. Peter Yan has kind of joined him now with his performances uh, last week it, it actually reminds me of just what I said of, of kind of the Peter Yan fight in that 
you know, John Dodson, Jeremy Stevens, never going to be a, a top fighter. Well, I suppose John Dodson got close, but never going to be that top number one fighter. But if you beat them, you're a solid fighter straight away. And I think it's the same here. If Zabit can come in and beat Jeremy Stevens, I think he puts himself up into that mix for the top five. I really do. And I, I do think he'll win. But it's it's no joke. I think, uh, uh, you know, when you can hit... As hard as Jeremy Stevens says, the hardest hitting 145 pounder, never forget that, <laughs> you know, and uh, <laughs> if, if he can hit him, he will knock him out, and Zabit has been open for a few shots in his last two fights, he's not the perfect fighter yet, he's an unbelievably good striker, unbelievably good wrestler, just an absolute nuisance to fight against, but Jeremy Stevens is a classy fighter, he, he's improving all the time as well, you know, training with Dominic Cruz and all, he's a smart team behind him, with um with Eric Telfiero, I think, isn't it, yeah, and uh, you know, he's, he's going to be no jokes, I'm really, really looking forward to that you know the that's the top of the the preliminary card and it's arguably a better fight than anything on the main card from my point of view in, in terms of um in terms of a kind of an even fight so i'm really looking forward to that johnny walker as well coming back here like is the beat sorry is the beat on team sheehan is he or no uh, i think he is someone sent it in there is i think he is yeah i think the beats on team sheehan yeah so that should be fun uh, yeah, but uh, what, what about Misha Zorkinov versus Johnny Walker? Johnny Walker coming in fucking almost soccer kicking lads into the <laughs> into the fucking stands. Uh, Misha Zorkinov <laughs> is, a, is a really good fighter as well. I'm fucking hell. I'm really excited about that one as well because if Johnny Walker beats Misha Zorkinov, he's right up there as well. And he could be fucking fighting John jo- Johnny Walker versus Chago Santos would be an insane fucking fight actually if he wins here. God on my yeah. excited. Yeah, it's a quick turnaround for Johnny Walker, but uh, he was obviously. A- no uh, damage. It was a really quick fight, um, in his last one. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think I think Sirkinov kind of kind of had hope for him in the past, but now he's kind of I think we've kind of probably seen his ceiling or, or close to it, mm-hmm. and he's never going to kind of progress to be a top guy. But I think Johnny Walker has potential. Obviously, it's easy to get excited about a guy when he comes in, when he comes in and in his last fight and does something really impressive uh, really quickly and just looks looks like a like a flawless performance but uh this is like Sirkinov is like okay he's not up for echelon probably never will be and we, as I said we've probably seen close to his ceiling but he's definitely a really tough guy and, and yeah he has some, some ways of beating you so it'll be a, it'll be a good test of Johnny Walker here um before like obviously not an upper echelon guy like but you, like you don't want to push a guy too quick mm-hmm. uh, in Johnny Walker so I think it's a really good matchmaking and it's another fight where we'll find out uh, a good bit about a, a prospect which is which is always a uh, good matchmaking when, when when okay it might not work out that way it might be another quick finish for one of the guys uh, maybe he's a beat but it's great and finish real quick or 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 uh, what's his name Jeremy Stevens. No, the guy uh, we're talking about now. Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker, how could I forget? Yeah. And um, yeah, so one of these could go out and maybe we won't find anything about them, but it's good start, It's good matchmaking because the styles would mean that in all likelihood we'll find out a lot about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're, when, you're, when you're pushing prospects, that's what you want to do. You don't want to put them in there too quick. Like maybe Cody Garbrand, okay, it worked out, or sometimes it doesn't work out though, like uh, Francis Ngannou. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall in that card as well. I have to mention that's a very, very good card coming up there. Uh, just a quick mention as well before we get to some of the other news from the week. Uh, Cage Warriors 102 coming up this weekend as well. Some very good Irish talent and, and other talent on that as well. James Webb obviously fighting under under Chris Fields is fighting for the, the middleweight title there against Thomas Robertson. Uh, Steve O'Keefe, Joy Herbert is a good fight. Reese McKee back is, as well there against, against Perry 
Gary Goodwin, Craig White, who we saw in the UFC's fight there, Andy Young as well, obviously an Irish veteran fighting, Sam Creasy, uh, uh, Decky McAleenan is fighting as well, uh, and there's, I believe there's one more Irish kind of, Dan O'Gorman, yeah, is fighting as well on that card, so pretty good there. What do you think of James Webb? He's a guy who's improved an awful lot, isn't he? And this Chris Fields team with Ian Gary and, and a few more, they're improving an awful lot, aren't they? Yeah, Chris is kind of really... Uh... He seems to be really enjoying. Chris Fields really seems to be enjoying the the role of coach, and he seems to be very excited about his guys. But you always got to be when you always got to be wary. I was talking about it with even though Ian Gary's not wary, but like cautious mm-hmm. in getting too excited about these young guys. Like you know, uh, a lot can happen in in the in the early stages of his career, and some losses maybe will actually end up being good for them rather than bad for them. Even though, even though, like obviously, it's hard to take mm-hmm. uh, losing once or twice early on in your career so there's a long way to go for these lads and obviously the coaches are getting excited and that's great like you, you want a coach that's not kind of you know sick of the whole thing and <laughs> not excited and not believing in you so like uh, it, it's it's hard to know because we, we haven't really seen these guys fight on the local scene as much as we saw the last generation of fighters fighting like in Dublin and you know Limerick and or not Limerick but <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, Cork and uh, everywhere with Limerick. Um, I believe there might be an old fight card coming to Limerick pretty soon. If one I'm hearing from from last weekend might be a, not not a big one or anything, but like something. But hopefully, these things happen. Anyway. Oh, really? Yeah, mm, inside information. <laughs> yeah, probably lying to me again. The pricks, but who knows? Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that should be a good card. Obviously, Reese McKee as well. I have to mention him. You know, Perry Goodwin. That's a, that's going to be a good fight. So you know, those guys coming through Cage Warriors. That's all. You know, Cage Warriors is the best place if you want to get to the UFC and if you want to rise through. There's, you know, that's been proven beyond doubt now. So looking forward to to seeing that card. Yeah, Boylan, Graham Boylan uh, from Cage Warriors has a kind of track record of giving Irish guys a bit of a kind of yeah. extra chance or an extra push and. And maybe, maybe other guys. So maybe because he's Irish himself, like so, it's only natural. And mm-hmm, um, and it's kind of it's kind of a proven path to the UFC. And the UFC, obviously, it's on um, UFC Fight Pass and BT Sports, the same kind of platforms as as the UFC is on. So it's kind of it's a good place to get seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Bellator now, they finally have a TV deal. Yeah. We we should talk about how how good it is every time we talk about how bad it was every time before so well done well done Bellator you've given out about uh, to me a few of the Bellator people are like oh you've nothing to complain about now they're they're right right. I I deserve that in fairness so Um, alright a couple more topics here before we get to the questions we did a breaking news podcast on GSP's retirement the other day one thing we didn't really hit on as much as that much is is that this whole Habib fight like Habib versus GSP and GSP didn't get that fight so he retires why do you think they didn't make that fight? It, it, I don't know. Like it, it seems like the UFC these days want to make big money fights. They, they don't care. They're willing to bring in Brock Lesnar from fucking WWE and fight for the the world title, even though he might never fight again. Uh, for for the UFC, like maybe it's maybe it's the money. Maybe Habib is looking for looking for McGregor pay per view or McGregor fight money and GSP is looking for one last big fight and looking for a lot of money as well and the UFC are thinking it's not worth it we can just wait for McGregor and Habib to be unsuspended and back and we can just make that happen and uh, it's it's more money and okay GSP they probably didn't think GSP would just retire but GSP you know he's not going to pull in more than more than a million anymore I don't think by himself mm-hmm. yeah so Sorry for and that noise Habib, in the background there. <laughs> Habib's, Habib's still kind of unproven as a pay-per-view draw like, uh, until we see how he does without McGregor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Look, 
I don't know. I, I feel like because uh, Habib is not willing to fight for like a year or whatever, or eight months or whatever it is now. Uh, the UFC probably don't want to like hold Habib up until then and then have him fight GSP. Like that division is, and we'll get to the, this whole Max uh, versus Poria fight in a second. But I, I okay, they, they don't mind holding up the divisions if they get big fights. But I think that'd be just taking the piss a bit too much. I think uh, if they did that, even though. I think they probably should have done it, maybe, but I don't know. I think that's probably their reasoning behind it, and they they don't want GSP coming in there, maybe winning a title as well, and uh, and relinquishing it like he did the last time, or maybe they want to make a 165 pound title, or you know, there's there's probably lots of reasons why they why they don't want it, uh, and you know, if GSP didn't make 155 pounds as well, I'm sure that's another issue if they were to make it there. So I I thought they would have made it, but I can kind of understand why they why they want, and you know, we obviously discussed GSP, and you you know, you mentioned there earlier as well that you know retirement you can probably trust him more than you can trust most guys although it's you still wouldn't be too surprised to, to see him back but sure however we, we shall see uh what do you think of this max holloway versus dustin poria fight for the interim lightweight title yeah i'm surprised <laughs> very surprised uh i think poria even put out a thing saying he doesn't know how it, how it came together but he's just he doesn't really care <laughs> yeah it's a strange one but uh it's a really good fight um my favorite Max Holloway. Uh, I know Dustin Poirier beat him before handily, but it's a completely different fighter. Max Holloway now, like he's evolved so much that he's he's very recognizable to to the that fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's such an odd one though, isn't it? It's like you have a champion at one weight fighting for an interim belt at another weight. It just it kind of makes no sense. It's like the WWE champion fighting for the interna- intercontinental championship. It's like what? that's kind of a downgrade, is it not? It's like why? I don't under. I really don't understand this. Why would they not? Okay, obviously you want to make Max Holloway if he wants to come up to lightweight, fair enough. But then he should probably be relinquishing his featherweight belt. Like, I'm grand with him keeping his featherweight belt, let's say if he's fighting Habib and holding both belts or whatever at the same time. But, like, <laughs> if he's coming up to fight interim, fight for an interim title, it looks like he's coming up for good and he, he wants to fight at that weight. And I don't know, it just, it makes no sense in Parry as well. Like, the word is that Tony Ferguson kind of turned down the fight or didn't want an interim belt again or whatever, so they had to move on. So that's kind of why it's Parry versus Max, and it would have been Ferguson versus Max otherwise. And I think Ferguson might might have dodged <laughs> dodged a bullet there. He might be better off not taking that fight because I think Max beats all those guys, to be honest. I, I think he's a phenomenal fighter. But look, I, I kind of always say to myself, I, I can think about belts, I can think about what things mean, and I can think about where this leads us and everything like that. And that should be in the thinking. But the most important thing in the thinking, if you're a fan, if you're someone just watching it, like I try to be, is this a good fight? And I think it's a very good fight. So I'm I'm not going to complain about it too much. I think it's you know it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be a really good battle. Dustin Poirier hits very very hard. Max Holloway hits hard. He's a non-stop go forward fighter. I think it's going to be really really fun. So let's see what happens. Let let's let's do it. And maybe just maybe. The winner of this fight, if Conor McGregor comes back and he fights uh, called by Cerrone and Habib's not fighting until November, maybe we get Conor McGregor versus Max Holloway too. I'll be gone till November. What do you think? Conor McGregor versus Max Holloway too, would you watch it? Yeah, i definitely watch it, but um, I, like, I think the Habib fight is, is against McGregor is the one to make. It's just pay-per-view-wise. Yeah, but how are they going to make that now Like, it's if they have an interim lightweight champion? Sure, it doesn't all them interim shit. Like, yeah, but didn't Tony Ferguson just get stripped of that for no reason on one yeah, stage? Colby as well. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. But 
Yeah, you'd never it's know. It's just to sell pay-per-views, and, and I think that's the thinking that the Endeavor and UFC have. It just looks better on the, the promos and the posters. Mm-hmm. 100%. All right, let's get into some questions here. If you're over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. Uh, we talked about that one for me and Gary earlier, the poor standard of MMA and Bellator. Uh, they all won but fought nobody's. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, you know that's definitely a, a negative you can bring from this, and it, you know it is true. Kali man, uh, why? It's would, a good experience though to fight in is, front of a big crowd. Yeah. You, you were saying it was very loud and yeah. I thought actually pressure. when I talked to Ian Gary there a couple of weeks ago, I kind of and I asked most Irish guys about this. Like, is it actually better to fight guys who you kind of know you'll beat in the early days to just get that experience? And I personally think it does. And now Ian told me he totally disagrees with that, and he wants to fight the best and most. Irish guys are, are like that in fairness you know James Sheen fought him as well Did, you know they're both doing it you know lots of guys always always say that but uh, like I think the guy is fighting you can't blame any of them for it like, it's all obviously down to Bellator and everything like that but I think that's right I think that's good matchmaking you know if you're Kiefer Crosby and you're 6-0 and oh, you shouldn't be fucking fighting a guy who's you know 25-1 and one or something like that or a really experienced top 10 guy or whatever I think you should be fighting guys you know a three and one guy, three and two, you know, five and four, or whatever. I think that's the level you should be fighting. Now, when you get to eight and all, ten and all, okay, you should be fighting other guys, or maybe you know, fifteen and one or something, you know, with better records or something like that. But I think at the start for your first eight, ten fights, I think that's about building yourself into becoming a professional fighter, and I really think that's that's the best way to do it. So I, I you know, if I criticize him for that, I'd be criticizing myself because that's kind of what I always say. But like, do you do you see the logic in kind of both arguments there that people don't want to be you know, they, they want to be taking hard fights from the start, but maybe it's best for if they're kind of managed better for, for their whole careers. Yeah, well, like, you definitely don't want to jump too quick, and it is good to get experience and just get a feel for it and get minutes in the cage and kind of just experience the things that can go wrong. Maybe a wake up goes a bit wrong or you break a hand or, you know, lots of things can happen in an MMA fight or in the build-up to an MMA fight. Mm-hmm. So it, it is, I think it's, it's good at the start of your career to to not fight too quick. Like maybe it's not the start of his career, but Joe McCoggan was was what one and zero or two and zero when he when he fought a more experienced guy in like twelve and two or eleven and two in Arnold Quiro. Yeah. So and ended up losing a, a split decision, I believe it was. So um, you can go you can go too quick and maybe if you if you had have fought four or five easier guys and you get a better deal to fight on Bellator than you, you might get if you're if you're two and two mm-hmm. yeah 100% uh, alright a couple more questions I think, I think though I can see the logic in both and if you have yeah. like if if it gives you a bit of extra confidence in yourself saying no I'm better than these guys I don't need to do that and you go ahead and do it and it kind of builds a better mindset for yourself then I can, mm-hmm. I can see how that works too yeah, 100%. Uh, a few questions here from Patreon. I'll answer the, the rest of them. Anyway, I don't get to on the q and It'll be out uh, probably tomorrow or tomorrow afternoon or something like that. Uh, Sean Dinney, uh, how important is it for Irish and European MMA to kick on with the momentum after this live event? Yeah, I think, uh, look, I think it's very important. I, I think they're talking about coming back in September again, so that'll be that'll be good. You know, if you can get another 8,700 people, I think it was, back in here, it'll be... You know, it'll, it'll, it'll be uh, it'll be great. Uh, Evan Keaveney, do you think Bellator will establish a 125-pound division this year? I'm sure that they can get some good fighters together, Curtis Grayson and some UFC vets. Congrats on 200 episodes as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, it, it makes sense. I was thinking about this last night, especially, you know, okay, Ryan Curtis, he's a good talker and everything like that, and he, he was kind of saying they should do it, but it would make sense for Bellator now, wouldn't it, to get the 125-pound division going? Yeah, I think so. Uh, like, the UFC are kind of getting rid of guys, so there, there is guys floating around. Um, that they could bring in and um, okay maybe the the casual fans don't don't 
buy into or care as much about the the lighter guys, but the hardcore MMA fans do and want to see the want to see all all divisions. Mm-hmm. If they're small, like it just means more technical. Okay, there might be mightn't be as many uh there mightn't be as many knockouts and stuff like that. And but still, it's 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 different. It's it's uh it's more quick and skilled most of the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think. I think it would make sense for Bellator to do that. Like there is, there, there's definitely talent out there. Like that, the UFC probably would have signed if they had the division that they haven't signed. And maybe if, the the expense of bringing them in isn't as much as other divisions as well because the UFC, they, they they can't they don't have to outbid the UFC. They just have to outbid one or smaller mm-hmm. small one FC or smaller organizations. And a lot of, I can see a lot of fighters not wanting to go into one FC because it's a uh, it's kind of flies under the radar most of the time in the in the MMA sphere. So yeah, I think I think it's a good opportunity for Bellator to, to sign a bunch of lighter weight guys. Yeah, uh, did you see Liz Carmouche versus Putlova? No, no, I didn't see it either. So sorry, Carl, we can't answer your question about how you scored that. I scored it twenty nine, twenty eight for one of them. Don't stick me here, and we get to one or two on Facebook or on uh, Twitter. Then after that. Um, we kind of talked about this. Connor KO's uh, cowboy in spectacular fashion. What are the what's the percentage odds that it's going to be Connor versus Habib too, and not this interim uh, title? If you were to put a percentage on it, in the odds, what, what do you think it'll be Connor versus uh, Connor versus Habib too if if he beats Cowboy? Yeah, I think if he fights Cowboy uh, and beats him uh, in any way, it'll be it'll be uh, Habib next. I think it just makes too much sense, too much money on the table. Uh, to, to risk that too much. A hundred percent. If he beats Cowboy, yeah. Just the way Habib's talking about like going boxing or all this other stuff would would, would definitely would make it less than hundred yeah. percent. And the fact that he's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, refusing to fight now at the moment, uh, or apparently refusing to fight until his his friends uh, or his cousins uh, band are up. Mm-hmm. Just maybe he's a bit less of a company guy go along with the flow than, than a lot of other people maybe uh it might take a bit of negotiation to get him to get it done and he might want a lot of money so on it just depends on what his demands are mm-hmm. yeah 100 um mr podge here over on twitter has peter yan overtaken Dukunwa as the pros as the bantamweight prospect most likely to be champion i think he has at this stage yeah oh, I think, yeah i think so yeah, yeah. Dukunwa, i think he's really really good and if he can kick things back into into gear he can he can still be a top top fighter but at the moment yan has definitely uh, overtaken him and last question here from kieran gaffney what performance from ufc prague or bellator dublin did you find more most impressive or surprising i think ryan curtis was was really really good wasn't he at, at, at bellator uh, Bellator Dublin anyway he was kind of yeah. the one that I was talking to Peter Yan I think yeah. was from Peter Yan UFC as well, as well yeah, yeah. yeah. 100% so the lower See, these lightweight guys aren't so bad no they're not they definitely aren't they definitely <laughs> um, alright everybody thanks very much for listening thanks Andrew obviously for joining me earlier on and for Graham and thanks for 200 episodes of support I really really appreciate it uh, you're a great bunch of lads and without you we wouldn't be here for 200 episodes so here's to like probably 8 or 9 more before we kind of stop the podcast it's getting a bit boring now but anyway <laughs> I'm only joking we'll be here <laughs> for next year Graham any final words there before we go no uh, yeah it's good to make it to 200 but uh, yeah I don't know happy, happy birthday as well for... I, forgot, I forgot to say it happy birthday congratulations oh, yeah. on your anniversary. anniversary yeah your anniversary yeah. of birth it was good to see you on your birthday for 32 like now fucking hell hey, that's all Jesus you'll be catching up with Niall McGrath soon if you're like nah, 17, never 17, year, 17 years older than him 
Or younger, even. Never caught you. Yeah, never. Understand. All right, everybody. Thanks very much. Nice all to meet you all as well above at Bellator. A lot of people came up. I really appreciate the support. And uh, Farrell Conley and Derek Kelly and the boys as well. Thanks very much. And those fucking pizzas still haven't came. Still waiting <laughs> from, so, <laughs> fair, fair play to you, lads. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll end it, as always, on the inspirational quote of the week. Don't be afraid of being different. Be afraid of being the same as everyone else. We'll see you next Tuesday. Or maybe Sunday or Monday.